Welcome to Lake Higgins Live. It is Monday, July 18th, year of our Lord, 2022. We're jam-packed, but we're not high atop downtown Nashville, Tennessee. It's SEC Media Day. That's why we're on the air on a Monday. We are live, high atop downtown Nashville, Tennessee. Atlanta, Georgia, as it turns out this year. Nashville next year. Headlines flowing all over this place today. We're kind of here to drink it all up in just a few moments. LSU head coach Brian Kelly will join the show. We'll also talk about some things Lane Kiffin had to say today. Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner, steps up and I think uh, probably put his staff in the water and calmed a lot of nerves, at least for the moment, around college football. It's also a huge recruiting day in our world, so no offseason. We're not speaking the word around here, and we got a lot to talk about. Happy to have you with us to tune in in Hampton, Georgia, Rigby, Ireland, I'm told, and the chat is tuned in. Also, Colorado Springs, Colorado, Slidell, Louisiana. Thank you guys so much. I want to start it off the way we're probably going to start off every show this week. Told you we had some pretty interesting interviews coming your way. Brian Kelly, LSU head coach, which is a headline in and of itself, as you'll hear momentarily. It's kind of shocking. I had to repeat it myself a few times. But Brian Kelly, do you remember when he first came into LSU? And remember how you know there, were, there, were, there was the accent story and then there was the dancing story. And I told you that's all nonsense. We didn't really waste a lot of time talking about it on the show. Because by the time we get to the season, it'll be an afterthought. Kind of already an afterthought to me now, but we had Brian Kelly give us a good 10 minutes today, so I didn't waste time with that. What I did want to ask him is the stuff that most of our audience, a more hardcore audience, really cares about. So here's LSU head coach Brian Kelly joining us a little bit earlier. LSU head coach. Let me repeat, LSU head coach Brian <laughs> Kelly here at SEC Media Days. Back in 2020, you and I talked. You were the Notre Dame head coach. It was COVID. We were locked down. If I were to rub that crystal ball and show you two years down the road, this is your life. What would you have thought about seeing today? I probably wouldn't have believed you, um, but I'm excited. Um, loved every minute um, in Baton Rouge, and you know, there's been a lot of work too. And as a football coach, you love the opportunity to take over a program with such great history and tradition, and certainly they won a national championship in, uh, just a short time ago. So uh, to get that opportunity, um, couldn't be more excited. I know from the outside, coaches always have maybe an opinion of other programs. Sometimes you recruited against them, maybe you even went there and played. Mm -hmm. When you were at Notre Dame, maybe even Cincinnati before that, when you looked at the LSU program from afar, what did you think? Extremely talented, um, great defensive players, um, and, and then always trying to figure out you know, what they were doing on offense. And so um, you know, I just felt like this was a program that um, I could um, obviously help. Um, and, and get it back to uh, its, its prominence. And, and so um, it's been work, uh, but that's why I was here. And uh, it's been exciting for me to, um, uh, to rework a lot of the things necessary to get back to being a championship program. We had 36, 37 scholarship players. Uh, a lot of recruiting has, uh, has taken place since that time. And then player development, uh, the ability to develop our players. So. Um, but that's, that's why you take these jobs. And, but that was my opinion. Um, great defensive players uh, figuring out on offense, it seems, from year to year uh, in a program that could win a national championship. Recruiting is its own season, and it's never more so than in the SEC. And a lot of guys have come down here before, and they've kind of made it comparative to drinking from a fire hose. When they first come in the conference, you got to learn new high school coaches, yeah. you got to learn a new territory, and you've hired a new staff. So. Yes. It feels like it's been five years, but you've only been doing this a few months. What has recruiting in the SEC been like? Full-time job. I mean, it's, it's a, it, there's more to it um, than, than any time in my career. Um, you get 
uh, in the process from the very beginning and until the very end. You're at the start of it and you're at the end of it. I don't know if that's always been the case for me. Uh, sometimes I, br I was brought in uh, a little bit at the start and then kind of the assistants were doing a lot of the, the work and then I would come in, you know, maybe in the closing part of it. But uh, you're on uh, from day one. Uh, recruiting um, and I love that part of it because you build a stronger relationship with the the recruits and um, you know them so much better when it's time to make those decisions when you came here from Notre Dame did you see the need to do that did you philosophically see the need to maybe change your personal approach in recruiting a little bit I think so and, and I think that's why you know my home is less than a mile from campus so we can have unofficial visitors to our to my home um, you know, we had 29 uh, uh, visits uh, in June uh, to to uh, host them at my home, I think was important. So just that whole kind of mindset of being much more engaged on a day-to-day -day basis, um, and I think it's paying off. Culture is a word you've used a lot. Culture is a word everyone around LSU has used a lot. And when you're trying to overturn one, sometimes it gets uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So you haven't played a game yet. It gets real when you tee it up. Sure. But so far, you've met your roster, you've gone through spring, People have started to acclimate. What's the overall feel around the program, Ben? Well, I think it's positive. There's a positive environment, right? But you're right. I mean, look, you've got to go you know, play games and win football games, and, and then you've got to keep that positive environment together during tough times. And so we'll test the culture during adversity, right? But um, we're, go we're moving in the right direction. Habits are being fo formed. Uh, the way we think, uh, we're thinking the right way. Um, now it's, it's the constant application um, of our process that will determine where we go from here. Because you can't just now turn it off. You've got to stay on it every single day. And um, quite frankly, it seems as though our guys understand that. And if they do, we're going to be in a pretty good position. When I saw you bring in Jaden Daniels out of the transfer portal, I think I've looked at you even just through spring, and I've had three different times in my life where I thought all three of those guys, Nuss and Miles and Jaden, are going to end up being your starting quarterback. And then I listen to you, and you say, we're going to see come fall. We don't really have a starter named yet. So I mean, I'm not asking you to update me from the spring because nothing's yeah, happened. But right. what are the ultimate critical factors that will determine who your starting quarterback is? Taking care of the football. Um, got to be smart with the ball. You can't turn the ball over in the SEC and expect that you're going to win football games. So got to be smart with the football. Um, You've got to be able to make plays. And we have playmakers on offense. And so the quarterback has got to be able to get the ball into the hands of playmakers. So one, take care of the football. Two, get the ball into the playmakers' hands. And three, keep plays alive. If, if you can do those three things, um, you've got a chance to be the starting quarterback. And I think all of those guys can do that. Um, we'll have to set up preseason camp to see which one of those guys uh, will be the most effective at doing that. LSU head coach Brian Kelly. I'm getting used to saying it just like you're getting used to hearing it. I got the pin on, so <laughs> I, it reminds me every single day. Let me get you out of here on this. Um, everyone wants to project wins and losses. Yeah. It's preview magazine season, sure. as we like to call it. But to you, from a more process-oriented standpoint, what yeah. does success look like in year one? The development of this football team. I, I want to look. Everyone's going to have an opinion of this football team when we play Sunday night against Florida State. Um, I want everybody to walk away, regardless of what the score, and say, "Wow, this is going to be a really good football team." And regardless of whether that's a win or a loss, and we're all talking about everybody wants to win football games, but that's the development process that I want. This is going to be a really good football team as they continue to develop throughout the season.
Brian Kelly, appreciate you joining us. Best of luck this season. My pleasure. Good to see you. Really good to have LSU head coach Brian Kelly join us on 60 Minutes, brought to you by Late Kick, set up by Big Game Dane and company, who is giggling just off camera. We appreciate that. We'll do that every day. We're going to bring you at least one really good interview. <laughs> be professionally calm yourselves. You know what's nice, though? It's nice to be able to go out on the road. It's nice to be able to do all this. The only way it's possible is from our partners at Academy Sports and Outdoors. There is not really all that long ago that you have to go in the history books before you find us doing the show on this, the iJosh, I think several versions ago, uh, in some dusty little closet down at WLTZ in Columbus, Georgia, in between the 6 and the 11. And we've grown it to this, and we've done that because of you. And then Academy Sports and Outdoors comes along and says, wait a second, those folks are pretty serious about that show. Why don't we invest in it? And because of that, we're able to go out on the road. I appreciate that. In return, all you have to do, since you're outdoors, I'm looking right out on the street of downtown Atlanta right now. A lot of people doing a lot of things recreationally, in a good way, of course. You could have a tent out there. You could have bats and balls out there. You could have a grill out there. You can get it all at Academy Sports and Outdoors. They are your one-stop shop and hookup for all of your outdoor sporting goods needs. But also, if you can't get there, we're in the South. There's an academy on every street corner around every block. But maybe you're in South Dakota today. Academy.com is going to work for you. As long as that Internet's working, Academy.com will work for you. We appreciate them. They are our exclusive partner, and they make it possible for us to do stuff like this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, we got to roll on because, hey, it's a big day in Atlanta, but this is not an SEC Media Day show exclusively. 247sports.com found it in uh, the inventory to do entirely different shows today. We had the rankings release. We had brand new five stars unveiled. And so what we were going to get to last night before we kind of got swamped with some other things to talk about is I wanted to hit some recruiting intel, and I want to kind of loop in a lot of what happened today. So if you missed it, if you've been at work, we have brand new five stars. Dante Moore, I'm just going to start with Dante Moore, the quarterback who recently committed to Oregon out of the state of Michigan there in Detroit, all the way up to number two. And you guys know, especially folks who follow recruiting hardcore, you know what the talk has been. And it's kind of echoed what the talk internally at 24-7 Sports has been, and that is, is Arch Manning going to remain the number one player in the country? Well, at least for today, Arch Manning did remain the number one player in the country, but I'm a Dante Moore guy. I'm not an anti-Arch guy. I'm just telling you, I've seen Dante Moore in person. We were out at Elite 11. He came in there, did not lack for confidence, but he's got reason because he's got the skill set to back it up. And at the time, if you'll remember, we were on air out there, and it was cold, so we were shivering, even in Southern California, but I remember sitting at the desk with Will Fong, and Chris Singletary was there, Cooper Protagna was there, our entire staff, and they kept adamantly repeating the following sentence. That race for number one is still wide open. And I think today uh, bears a lot of that out. But also think about the Oregon side of things. I'm not on the rankings council. So I just sit back and watch it get released along with you guys. But if you think about what that means for Oregon, and if you, if you really look at Oklahoma and Oregon, I'm going to talk about Oklahoma a little bit later on. The big question you always have anytime a defensive head coach becomes that, becomes a head coach, is I don't doubt Brent Venables is going to be good on that side of the ball. I don't doubt Dan Lanning and Oregon are going to be good on that side of the ball. But I'm telling you, it sent pretty big shockwaves 
inside the recruiting industry that Oregon was able to step up and not take a kid from the Pacific Northwest either. Now, Dante Moore's got offers from all across the country. He's there in Detroit. He's there in Michigan. And he's not going to be a Wolverine, at least not as it looks today. He's going to be an Oregon Duck. Do you have any idea, I think you guys do, but just the general public, the more casual crowd out there probably not watching the show, do you have any idea what that does? That's as important as making your hire itself. Getting quarterback right knocks down so many recruiting dominoes, and they've got that at Oregon. So Dante Moore up to number two, and I'll just tell you, you know, I got my ear to the ground at the company. I am basically serving as your source in here. So I take the Dixie Cup, I put it up to the door of the rankings council. That thing's not settled. That is not settled. So that's going to go into the senior season. It's kind of crazy that you talk about it in such final terms before guys have played their senior year. It didn't used to be like that. I want to look at the team rankings right quick. Uh, an update now that we've got the new five stars. we got the rankings update in general. The whole one through 25, I'm not going to touch on every team, but a few of them stand out. And I want to talk about Penn State right now because there's a lot of chatter out there in the recruiting industry and in, in just the message board community in general about how serious to take Penn State. If you're looking on YouTube, and if you're listening on podcasts, let me tell you, Penn State's sitting there with the third highest ranked class in the country. Uh, they've got 19 commits. The average player rating is around a 91.5. So it's not hollow. It's not something where they've gotten fat on inferior product, and just because everyone else hasn't loaded up yet, they're sitting there in the top three. That's not the case. Uh, Penn State may very well be putting together the best class they've had under James Franklin so far, which is interesting because what's the talk on the street about James Franklin? What's the talk on the street about Penn State? There's this, there's this weird vacuum in college football right now where if you don't come in and immediately take a program to you know, the fringe of playoff contention or playoff contention, you're just an afterthought. You're just like you're tossed out on the scrap heap, and the reality is not that. The reality in this sport is getting to the 90th percentile is one thing, and then that final 10% is like this whole different war you have to fight figuratively. Of course, that's kind of where Penn State is. Penn State's been a very good program. Past two years, record hasn't indicated that. I would argue some external factors have come into play. You would argue on the other side that's excuse-making. Penn State's a very solid program. And we've already talked, you and I, about this coming season, knowing what they have that they haven't had in the cupboard. And that is, regardless of what Sean Clifford is this year, they've got Drew Aller on the bench. They've probably got Nick Singleton at running back playing this year. Look at this recruiting class. Look at the guys they have coming in. Look at, for example, Tony Rojas. He was a four-star linebacker out of, uh, I believe, Fairfax, Virginia. They got him a couple of, feels like a week or so ago now. But then right after that, you see Tamir Robinson, who was, uh, well, is a four-star edge guy, but was thought to be a Miami lean. And then all of a sudden, he's in the fold for Penn State. That was a big win for that staff. They didn't hide the jubilation on social media. If you follow those guys, they know how big a win that is. So pay close attention to Penn State. Elsewhere, LSU, as of today, the number eight class in the country. We just heard from Brian Kelly. I was very, very interested to get general thoughts from him. I can't ask him about specific prospects right now, but to get general thoughts from him about recruiting and about what it's been like, because that whole fire hose analogy, that's what a lot of guys say. When you come into the SEC, if you've never been an assistant here, you've never coached here, and all of a sudden you're down here, it's like if you got on the interstate but they didn't give you an on-ramp, if they just kind of set your car down and all of a sudden everyone's going 80 miles an hour around you, yeah, your car can go 80, but right now it's going zero. So you've got to punch it really hard. That's what they've had to do. Napier's having to do the same thing at Florida. I think it's easier for Napier because he's been an assistant in the South. And, he, and he, coaching at Louisiana, you're still in those territories. Brian Kelly was none of those things. Brian Kelly was at Cincinnati, and he was at – I mean, he's never, never coached in the South. And so it's a lot of new, and for his staff, it's a lot of new – 
And so you notice they started slow, proverbially. They started slow. They have been on fire as of late. I mean, they were in the 30s, I think, a couple of weeks ago. Now they're number eight in the country. Uh, 91.51, I think, is the average player rating there right now. And there's starting to be some real traction, you know, behind the scenes. You're starting to hear more and more of, hey, watch out for LSU with this guy. Hey, watch out for LSU with that guy. Jalen Brown, that's the one that really caught my attention. When Brown committed, it's a high four-star receiver from South Florida, when he committed to them a couple of weeks ago, that's the one that really caught my attention. Uh, That's the one that a lot of people, I think, publicly celebrated because that was kind of the national announcement of, hey, we're here. We're not going anywhere. I don't think they are. I think in a lot of ways that staff's just getting started. They need proof of product. If you're going to negatively recruit against LSU, certainly it's going to sound something like this. Uh, Brian Kelly never had explosive offenses at Notre Dame, and he's never done it in the SEC. Okay, I mean, those things could be true. Uh, It could also be true that, like he said in that interview you just heard, there was a lot about himself. He felt like he needed to reinvent. That's not just in recruiting. I get the feeling that he looks offensively at what they have been, what they need to be to win ballgames in the SEC, and says, probably need to stretch the field a little bit more. And I think they will do that because they're recruiting the athletes to do it. Oklahoma, i got to mention Brent Venables. Same theme as Dan Lanning at Oregon. Defensive coach, defensive lifer, first-time head coach, and all of a sudden, Boom, you've got Jackson Arnold in your class. A lot of folks think he may be the best quarterback in the country. He was the Elite 11 Finals MVP a couple of weeks ago. But also, if you ask yourself what Oklahoma was, they were an offensive juggernaut under Lincoln Riley. And then you ask yourself, what will they become under Brent Venables? I think it's natural, more than natural, and understandable for you to expect them to kind of shift philosophically. Well, I'm not saying they won't. In fact, I expect them to. But does it surprise you to know that at this point, Oklahoma's got the number nine class in the country and their top three commits are quarterback, wide receiver, and offensive tackle? They've done really good. It's a very limited sample size. I'll grant you that. But they've done really good. They've been really aggressive. They took care of quarterback first and foremost. They've been really aggressive recruiting offensive players. If you were to just close your eyes, first off, Last National Signing Day, you probably would have been surprised to see how high they finished given the staff turnover. You just expect them to fall off a cliff because they're losing Lincoln Riley. They did not do that. But then you may say, oh, that's just fool's gold. Now those kids were already locked in. Next cycle, no way they continue that. They're continuing it. I got every reason to believe they'll finish as lofty or close to as lofty as they did last cycle. And my whole point with closing your eyes is if you didn't know there was a coaching change and you just looked at recruiting results, You wouldn't know anything changed at all. There's some other programs I get asked about a lot. I just want to touch on them briefly. Michigan's one of them. Auburn's one. A&M's one. South Carolina is one. They're sitting there, and none of them are in, like, the top 25. Michigan's 35th right now, and they've got 12 commits, and it's a very incomplete class, so I'm not judging them on being ranked 35th. I think it's fair to look at the what might have been with Dante Moore, but folks in Michigan circles will tell you, given the state of that recruitment, we were not going to be in it. And you can take that for what you want to take it for. Uh, There's a certain philosophy around NIL that they are practicing around Michigan. Some of them aren't happy about it, but that's, that's the way they've chosen to go about it. But Michigan, very incomplete. Look, my whole deal with the Harbaugh flirtation with the NFL, come back to Michigan thing was never, is he serious? I don't doubt he's serious. That's only part of the equation. You've got to sell kids that you're serious, and you've got to draw them. And if you can't draw them, it doesn't matter how serious you are because recruiting and talent acquisition, that's the name of the game. So this is not writing Michigan's class off. It's just saying 
there's still a lot, and I mean a lot, of work to be done there. Auburn is 72nd right now. They've bumped up to 70th, I think, today. That's in the last couple of hours. Either way, it's a really low number. But they only have, I think, four commits, four verbal commits. So what do I make of that? Is Brian Harson and his staff, or are they ones that want to evaluate more a senior film? Are they ones that feel like they can move a little bit later? Do they want to be more careful with their offer list? Are they struggling? All of these things are on the table. I think it takes a cycle or two. Like no one expected him, him being Brian Harson, to light the SEC world on fire in recruiting. Still a lot of progress that needs to be seen. But again, this is a totally incomplete class. So the ranking, irrelevant. What kind of players do they end up adding? A&M at 61st, or uh, today 60th. They've bumped up to 60th. That's what you get for taking your notes in the morning. They've got five commits. And unlike Auburn, there is no doubt here. There's no doubt, at least in my mind. We had a bold prediction last night on the show that A&M will not finish top 20, and I, I just batted it away. Like, that's ridiculous. Last year, top 20, like finishing 20th, would have had you around a 229 overall class ranking. I think A&M will be above 250. That's probably a worst case for them. So they're going to be fine. They'll close extremely strong. I picture them as a staff sitting around a table saying, why should we move this early on, kids? We can afford to take our time. Look how we closed last year. We're Texas A&M, and that means a lot at the recruiting table now. So South Carolina at, well, let me make sure. South Carolina, I think at 31st or 30th right now. They got 13 kids committed. This is a good class. They're forming a very good class up there. And they've, they've landed a couple of kids now recently that you, you sort of felt reverberate a little bit. They're getting kids that fit their program. Uh, Shane Beamer will be in here tomorrow. We'll be able to talk to him. But I, I'd be excited. I like, all, all things considered, I like the returns right now on the South Carolina uh, signing class. Auburn is the one I think most conspicuous in their top 50 absence out of all those that we just listed. But again, keep in mind now, there's still, there's still a whole lot that we don't know about the NIL era, the portal era. Keep in mind, there are still programs out there asking themselves, how many high school kids do we want to take? You know, So just keep that in mind. But a big recruiting day, if you have not checked it out, 247sports.com. Also on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. It's a different channel now. They did a lot of programming today on that, so I would encourage you to check that out. All right, I um, want to talk about Greg Sankey and his comments for a few minutes today. I know everyone's happy with me back home because I went out of order. Greg Sankey, SEC commissioner, rolls into Atlanta today. Uh, there's a lot of uncertainty around college football, and there is a lot of sentiment out there that the biggest boys at the table, i.e. Greg Sankey and the SEC, Kevin Warren and the Big Ten, there's a lot of sentiment out there, as we've talked about, that these guys are really taking a blowtorch to college football and they don't really care who gets burned in the process. And I have shared with you that even though I'm not particularly thrilled about the shifting and the overall direction, I don't think that's the case. I think it's a case of some guys making a move out of what they view as necessity. In other words, I'm going to do it because if I don't do it, someone else is going to do it. I think that's the position Sankey's probably found himself in. But I told you one of my most confident things coming into media day was that Greg Sankey was probably going to step up on a podium early on Monday morning and calm fears, if anything else. He was not about to tell you, we're ready. You know, this time next week, we'll have three or four more, uh, we'll have three or four more brands in the fold. That's not happening. And it may not happen ever. Uh, we had Greg Sankey in our own room here a little while ago, so we talked to him for about 10 minutes ourselves, but you saw him on SEC Network this morning talking to the whole world, 
And he pretty much repeated there what he told us, and that is, look, I don't know where this comes from that we're aggressively looking to expand. We're not looking to expand the SEC at all. We're plenty happy at 16. Specifically, he was asked about what kind of damage that does. And expanding past 16, if you had to for your own conference, what's the feeling? He talked about there being a lot of unease, even inside the SEC meeting rooms. There's a lot of unease about growing to that size because at that point, you're kind of a conglomerate, like you're not a conference anymore. It's, it's like looking at one of those companies that's gobbled up 50 other companies and it used to be this, but now it's whatever it is. He doesn't want the SEC to be that. A lot of folks who have been around the SEC, a lot of college football fans don't want it to be that. I don't think it will become that. But that wasn't a shock to me, nor was the next thing he said, but I think it did catch some people off guard. You know my stance on playoff expansion. I'm not going to bore you with it. I am, I think, in the minority. If we took a poll, I think I'm in the minority. I don't want expansion. I'd, I'd love to go back to 1994. I know we can't do that. So where my personal mentality is, is I've come to accept that we're going to have expansion. So if we start at that point, I'm not happy about it, but if we start at that point, and I have to assume that's the world we live in, what Greg Sankey said today leads me to believe that I will probably sing his praises on this topic for now until whenever this thing reaches some form of finality. Greg Sankey was asked about expansion, and he was asked, once you guys have gone back to the drawing board, how do you feel about the auto bid model? You know, the automatic qualifiers. What do you think conference champions should be able to have? Greg Sankey said, yeah, I'm not doing that anymore. No, he essentially said, you had your chance. You passed up on that. You will not get me to sign my John Hancock on any kind of format that has auto bids. He said, earn your way in. And I, my mascara started to run. I mean, I had happy tears just streaming down my face. Imagine someone in a front-facing position of power in our sport Daring to utter the words, earn your way in. And by earn, that doesn't mean that you put an equal sticker across every conference because magically lines on a map that divvy up conferences equal, if you win your little block up here, you're equal to that team, equal to that team. That's not what we're talking about. We've never been in favor of the auto bid format on this show, period. And Greg Sankey, which is the most important signature in the room, apparently echoing that sentiment. Now what do you do? What do you do, and, and what power do you have to do that thing in moving forward? If you're the ACC, if you're the Pac-12, if you're anything other than the SEC and the Big Ten. There was a time where everyone's vote was equal. That time has come and gone. Uh, that's blatantly obvious when these guys opened their mouths, and Greg Sankey did today. Uh, Kevin Warren will, I uh, think a little bit later this week. That's the reality. Now, how aggressive are people going to be? on going after this massive field of playoff teams. Because here's what you have to know now. You have to know the bigger that field gets, the more SEC teams are getting in. Now, it may be that more of your teams get in in the process, too. I'm guaranteeing you, just as he knows. He's not stupid. Uh, he knows good and well the bigger that field is, the more my teams get in. So by all means, if you want to run the risk of an all-SEC Final Four, go for it. But you're not getting me to sign off on a piece of paper that guarantees the Pac-12 has a minimum of one spot at the table before we've even kicked off in week one just because they're a conference. No, that's not the case because this is college football. It's not pro sports, and therefore it's an apples to bowling ball comparison. It's interesting the kind of traffic that drives by on the streets while you're doing your show. Um, so I was happy to hear that. The other thing that it should be noted that Greg Sinke said today is there are conferences out there that have grant of rights deals, i.e. the ACC. He said, we're not looking to blow that up. 
So right there, you remember last week when there was that big headline circulating and it said the SEC's in negotiation with Clemson and Florida State and whoever else it was and ESPN is actively negotiating to get out of their sweetheart deal? You know, because who doesn't negotiate their way out of a sweetheart deal tilted in their favor? You remember when I told you that was BS? Uh, Greg Sankey backed it up today. That was never the case. And that thing got so much traction. Uh, and I already forgot who put it out there, which says all you need to know. Greg Sankey essentially today said, we're not going after any ACC teams. They're locked in. We're not going to do that. So I'm taking him at his word on that. I don't think they're going to expand anymore. Unless their hand is forced, I don't think they're expanding anymore. And you know what? That's not the worst thing in the world. Uh, I wanted to wrap up with this. I had a question from one of you about Lane Kiffin and what we heard from him today, which is interesting because he is about 15 feet from us right now. We can't mic him, though, so don't ask. But one of you asked some thoughts about Lane Kiffin today and what he had to say. And I'll tell you the first thing that stands out. It's, it's funny what NIL has done to the sport. I remember my inbox and what it looked like when NIL started to really pop up. And I remember everyone claiming, oh, man, this is going to be right in the wheelhouse of a guy like Lane Kiffin. And I remember thinking, I, okay, <laughs> you know, you can draw on that whatever you want to, and you can say that for whatever reason you want to. I've listened to him talk. I listened to him again today talk. You've heard him many times speak on this subject. Is he a guy that appears to be frothing at the mouth about the prospect of NIL and what it's doing to college football? That's not what I've gathered at all. I've heard him talk about how you got to get this thing under control. you got to get guardrails on this thing. And he's saying that. Because he understands what can happen to the sport, and he understands where Ole Miss is in the grand scheme of things, not just within his conference, but within college football overall. And so there was a lot of perception out there. I think we've noticed this across the board. There was a lot of perception of what NIL was going to do to college football and who was going to be on board with it. And in reality, it's like Louisville? Like Louisville's blowing it up right now. Who in the world was looking at Louisville saying, yeah, once we get NIL in place, boom, that program, that's the one that's going to blow up. It's very unpredictable. The other thing, which is the, the multi-million dollar question in the room for Ole Miss this year, is replacing coordinators. DJ Durkin's gone, Jeff Levy's gone, and that's going to be a lot of headline-grabbing material. You can't know until you know on that. To me, independent of that, independent of the coaching churn, look at the quarterback position. And I just, talking to some folks today, I kind of had it hammered home to me. I think we mostly already think this. They're replacing Matt Corral, and they brought in Jackson Dart. And I think just because everyone was caught up in the, in the portal hysteria, they looked and said, all right, check that box, check that box. They lost one guy, they got another one. They're good. That's not it. That's not the way it works. Jackson Dart is not Matt Corral. Luke Altmaier, I don't think, is Matt Corral. They may find a very, very good replacement for him out of that combo, I don't necessarily think they've got a tit-for-tat there with Matt Corral, which is why, at least on this show, we've looked at the name like Zach Evans, the, the once highly touted running back who went to TCU, had a bunch of those red flags around his name, never really panned out, did it? He's just been a stud football player, and now he is going to be the starting running back at the University of Mississippi, and because of the way I think slightly the nature of that offense will shift this year, Zach Evans, that's why he is my guy. I think he may have the most rushing yards in the SEC West this year, even as other guys get a lot more preseason acclaim, like doing this with our hands as much as we can. So uh, Lane Kiffin's still in the building. He's not done talking yet today. So those were some of the takeaways I had. Look, we're just getting started here this week. We're very excited to be here. We appreciate you guys being here with us. Make sure, if you haven't already, you like the video, subscribe to the channel. 61% of our traffic 
is unsubscribed to the channel. It's not your fault. It's my fault. It's not on you. It's on me. I just need to beg you. I need to clench my fists together and beg you, please subscribe to the channel. For us, please do it. Thank you so much. For our entire crew here, just getting started from Atlanta. We'll be back at the same time tomorrow. I'm Josh Bate. Have a great rest of your evening, and God bless.